Well, hello, and welcome to another exciting episode of Open Swim with your hosts, Hallie Bram Kogelschatz, Brian Andrew Jasinski, Alex Knight. And we have a special treat today. We have the newest member of our team joining us in via satellite, Jamie. Jamie, why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself? Hi, everyone. I'm Jamie. I'm from Sydney, Australia. Started out at Sharkamano in February 2020. And I'm looking forward to this podcast. So at the time of recording, we're actually a month and a half into our work from home situation. Some employers started maybe a couple of days before, some started just afterwards. But like I said, we're a month and a half in. So how's everybody feeling? I think it's a combination for me personally of feeling i think like everybody the days tend to blend into each other and you need to set a tone every day to see see where you are and what your goals for the day are but at the same time i almost feel like it's flown do you feel like you're getting to items on your to-do list what kind of stay-at-home person are you brian are you a cook everything person are you a home improvement person (laughs) what's your covid19 profile (laughs) i'm definitely somebody who was still like getting ready at the same time that I would be had I been commuting to the office, getting dressed, sitting at my computer at right around nine o'clock. Whereas now I'm finding perhaps my, my attire has become a little more casual, but it's still very important to me to still like get ready in the morning and feel like I'm beginning a work day. They're uh, wearing the same garment all day long. For me, I kind of need that getting ready in the morning feeling. I'm not to the extreme. I, I have heard some stories of parents who are actually putting their kids in the car, driving around the block, and then coming back. And when they they return to the house, they're at quote-unquote school, and the parents become Mr. and Mrs. Smith. And then at the end of the day, they go, you know, I'm not to that extreme where I'm getting in my car and feeling like I'm driving to work. But yeah, for me, I've needed that structure of the day. And I think it's important for our clients for them to feel like they still have those open hours that they're able to contact us. And we're even more available for them in a sense in terms of our availability. And then to your other points, yeah, I've definitely, like many people, you know, I've always been somebody who's enjoyed cooking and baking, but that's definitely stepped itself up even more. Uh, I've noticed I like I'm like, gosh, I'm doing dishes again, you know, because it's definitely stepped up in terms of the amount of things that I'm making and trying to tackle some of those projects, you know, that have been on my to-do list on the home front as well. So trying to, as much as possible to have it be a time for reflection and, and reinvention in terms of my space and even my process. Everybody is making the best out of it that you can. And hopefully you take it as an opportunity to grow and even be able to reflect on your process, be it for work or home or the way you cook, the way you shop, you know, I think we're all forced into this, this new way of thinking and existing in terms of our process day to day. Absolutely. Alex, what about you? Like Brian, I cannot believe it's been about a month and a half already. I think that the days definitely are starting to blend together a little bit. Um, but in general, I've really taken up the hobby of baking. <laughs> so I've been watching a lot of YouTube videos of different chefs and home cooks and just seeing what the recipes that they're doing. At home, we've made anything from everything bagels. It's a lot of bread-based products, but everything bagels and like sourdough bread, different types of cakes and cookies, a lot of, you know, really healthy stuff. <laughs> <laughs> healthy for the soul. It's healthy for the soul. <laughs> 
Exactly, exactly. In addition to just doing our normal work for Shark and Minnow, it kind of gives a sense of accomplishment of things that you're doing throughout the day. So that's it's definitely been nice and it's cool to see something that you've created and then you can enjoy. So doing a lot more cooking lately than than actually before quarantine, which is probably a good thing, honestly, for both the waistline and the budget. I would say a recent thing that I've that I've discovered that I'm really enjoying is bike riding. And I know Brian, you you are also kind of in that boat, but as the weather is getting nicer which is awesome. Hopefully we're past snowing in Cleveland, but knock on wood. I have really enjoyed bike riding. So I've been going on bike rides like every other day and it's been nice to just kind of be active in that aspect of it, especially being cooped up all day. I totally agree with Alex and Brian that time is just flying by, which is great, but it's also kind of scary. It's like what day is which and who's doing what and it's a bit of a blab. But I also need my structure like Brian does. I like to wake up in the morning, act as if, you know, the workday's starting, have my to-do list. It motivates me and also it just keeps me sane, just continuing life as it was. I know we are dealing and adapting to a new norm, but I do think it's important to still have that structure and normalcy. I need to up my creative skills. I'm very jealous that Brian and Alex are creating such awesome things. I definitely need to get up there but for me I'm just taking it easy coloring in almost every day all day and relaxing with the family which I don't think I did much of before so that's good as well creating new memories together but other than that I do enjoy my structure yeah no it absolutely helps to have markers in the day things that you can both mark time with but also look forward to and I think you know in the same way that's been helpful on a day-to-day basis we've also now had some virtual holidays mixed in and with (laughs) I think some creative solutions as to how to celebrate Easter and Passover I know that at least for myself that was a hard thing. I really look forward to Passover. I like having my Seder with my family and not sitting around a table with them. It's a hard thing, but much like everybody else, you sort of cope with it in various ways. You try and make it fun. We're a little bit more inventive in in how to celebrate the holiday because we weren't going to be able to rely on our usual methods of celebration. So hopefully everybody had a happy holiday, whatever you celebrate, and is finding ways to, you know, like Jamie said, make new memories. So I want to switch gears. Today we're going to be talking about retail in a post-COVID world. I want to level set the conversation by talking about where we find ourselves at the time of recording. So today is Monday, April 27th. Team, feel free to chime in here, but basically what we're looking at is we're on the precipice of the quote-unquote reopening of the economy. I say quote-unquote because I think we're a long way off from seeing any sort of true economic bounce back, but what we are looking at is this phase one easing into phase two, possibly in the next few weeks here. There are some states across the country that are truly opening in different degrees. I was watching something over the weekend where, you know, obviously Georgia is probably one of the states that is becoming the most open. They were showcasing a hairdresser that was bringing in clients and working on various styling and color and things like that. So there are states like that that are really easing the amount of social distancing in order to have people operating as close to business as usual as possible. And then there are other states like New York that's probably on the far other end of the spectrum that are a very long way from being able to truly and open open in any fashion that resembles what life was like before this pandemic occurred. 
heard. So I think reopening the economy is a bit of a misnomer. I think we're seeing some relief in the sense that the curve has seen a flattening for sure. I don't think anybody would say that the virus is behind us, not even close, but I don't think we're much at risk based on the numbers overwhelming the healthcare system in the way that we would have been had social distancing not occurred over the last month and a half. So at least that's a positive point that we can point to. With that in mind, we are going to see a new future for retail, and it may look very different from what we were used to before this pandemic, both in this interim period where we find ourselves waiting for a vaccine or therapies that can help to treat the virus should you contract it, but also what happens after the vaccine? What happens when COVID-19 is truly something that we can close the book on. I think we're, again, a long way off from that, but what happens to retail once that happens? And what is what does shopping look like in a physical sense or how much of a physical shopping experience will we have? So Brian, I know you've been thinking about this. What kinds of trends are you seeing out there? With the change of how we're living day to day. What do most people do on the weekends, right? You go to eat and a lot of times you're going shopping and a lot of times it is quote unquote recreational shopping. Being able to go somewhere and browse and not necessarily have a goal in mind while you're shopping. Whereas now shopping is very much, it's so tactical if you think about it. I know personally when I'm going into that grocery store, I am going in to get exactly what I need and get out. You know, it really is, as I said, I'm very tactical. It's really that experience has, is lifting. What's interesting is I, I've thought about that as I've been in these stores and we're living in the surreal world where everyone has masks. I even noticed, and I assume this is intentional, but I noticed in the grocery stores, the music is gone. They're not even playing music. So part of me is like, is there a psychology behind that where it doesn't invite you to linger, if you will. You know, I, I thought that was really interesting. And so it had me thinking a lot about one of our earlier podcasts where we've actually talked about the future of retail and the fact that a lot of it has moved to an online platform. However, in this online shopping retail world that we're in, and now that's only been elevated in such an escalated fashion, within weeks, the way that people shopped changed dramatically. I was doing some research and I found a really great article from CSA, which is Chain Store Age, and, and they dissect the business of retail. And there are, are four long-term retail trends that they see in a post-COVID-19 world. And what's great is we touched on a lot of these in that podcast where we spoke about the future of retail. The first one being that expectation for authenticity. They speak a lot about the idea that we're going to reward those brands who did the right thing during this crisis and that we're going to remember that. The second would be that demand for new experiences, that brands should be ready to deliver experiences that are optimistic, entertaining, and fresh. And regardless of how long that this will last, retailers should be preparing to offer those experiences. They said to feel metaphorically like spring. People want to transition away from this, what I was just saying, that sense of when you're in these retail environments, it's an assignment. It's a, it's something you need to get through. You know, it's not enjoyable. The third was that heightened sensitivity to that vulnerability. And, and Hallie, this, this connects to what you were saying. Like, what is the role that we as consumers and the retailers, this mutual transition that we're going to have in terms of keeping everyone healthy, from employees to shoppers to the delivery crews that are bringing the merchandise into these physical spaces? 
And then lastly, the fact that social distancing is driving more consumers to digital platforms. So quite like myself, people who didn't use a lot of online services, like be it DoorDash or having your groceries delivered to your door, it's something people didn't really experience before. But now that they've been introduced almost out of necessity, they remain loyal to those brands that they would have never before interacted with. So basically through the necessity of these new shopping habits, people may they're exposed to something that perhaps they're realizing, oh, I actually like the way this works. Like I said in the last podcast, there's this full global experiment going on. And much like anything else, retail has definitely been one of the biggest litmus tests that we've seen. Through this experience, I know you're saying that you're trying a lot of services that you hadn't used before. Mm -hmm. Does it make you want to use them more in the future after this situation is a thing of the past? Going back to some of those previous podcasts where I do speak, where I personally am somebody who likes going to the physical spaces. I like that feeling of browsing and you know, I've spoken about the thrill of the hunt before. But I, I do think from a grocery standpoint, I find that I'm much more efficient and I've been much more conscientious of what I'm purchasing, knowing that I don't have that luxury. Like I definitely was somebody who who's never really done large shopping trips. I'm somebody who would go to the grocery store actually several times a week knowing what I was going to be making maybe for the next two to three days where now I'm planning weeks in advance. So definitely I feel like it's forced me to be much more thoughtful about what I'm putting on my list and what I'm actually putting in my cart. In terms of will I feel like I will continue using more of the digital platforms? I don't know if that would be for me because it never has been. It's been a great luxury to have, but I do know that the thoughtfulness behind how I'm shopping will, I think, will forever be altered. I also think personally, there's a lot of people who do miss that experience of being able to go somewhere where it, it's not that feeling of an assignment. It's not that tactical feeling. And so I, that is something I'm certainly missing. It's that old adage, you know, you don't know what you've got till it's gone. We've spoke a lot about how people aren't going into retail spaces much like they used to. I actually spoke with a friend of mine who's a manager at a, at a department store. And she said they're getting communication from customers saying that they are missing the experience of coming in. They're, they have that relationship with that salesperson. So much like you said, Hallie, about missing your family even more over the holidays, that sense of, oh my gosh, I, that really was something that was a, a big part of my my day and my weeks, like everybody. The, these things that were day-to-day processes. I've spoken about how I miss that commute in to and from work, just that time in, in my commute to like think about my day or think through on my way home about my day that I just had. When those things are lifted, you realize how important and how integral they are to your day-to-day process, even your day-to-day well-being. Brian, you've talked a lot about this being a moment where shopping is very tactical and the wanderlust has been, been taken out of it. That thrill of the hunt, that joy when you find just that perfect thing you were looking for. But I think the other thing that I'm hoping people will come away from this situation with is an appreciation for the people that you're shopping with. Very often, when you go into a store, there is some exchange with a retail associate. In this time when we are so isolated, my hope is that it makes us value all relationships in a different way. And those can be extemporaneous relationships as well that you have with a sales associate. There's something really nice about having 
shopping be a social experience rather than something that's happening in a silo behind a screen or this very hurried thing. I don't know about you guys, but recently I made the decision to stop having my groceries delivered. And instead I quite literally suit up and go into the grocery store. I have my clothes on that I'm going to immediately change out of when I get home and wash in very hot water. I have my gloves and my mask and I pull my hair back and all of that just so I am as least vulnerable as possible. But it's it's not an enjoyable thing. You know, I have my list, which I segment by department, which is not so unusual for me. I, I often do that. But I'm also shopping now for my parents, who I really don't want going into a store. And so it just becomes this mad dash. It's very transactional. And isn't it interesting, Hallie, how you just feel this awareness of everybody. That's never been a thing before. Everyone is so aware of each other. There's this weird energy force almost around everybody. You know, like you're always conscious of people when you're shopping, especially in these aisles, which they've obviously tried to alleviate now by making them one-way aisles. But there's just this sense of hesitation, which is, that to me is also very sad. There's this just fear of everybody. You know, it's a very strange feeling as well for me because I used to joke about the fact that when I came back to Cleveland, the grocery store that I went to growing up and and now the grocery store that I go to as an adult, both of them are very you hooey. Like you bump into lots of people you know. In fact, I usually go to the grocery store and bump into no fewer than three to four clients of ours. <laughs> you have to get dressed to go to the grocery. No I do. I do. Well, now I don't have to worry about it because I'm behind a mask. So it's good and bad, I guess. But no, it is strange. It always, in my mind, it was a very social place. And now it's this this kind of nerve-wracking experience the first time I went back to grocery shopping I was heading up to the check-in area to check out and this elderly woman she collapsed and she she hit the floor and started it looks like having a seizure and there were all of these people just standing around her in a circle from a safe distance not knowing what to do because we're in this era of social distancing and so finally over the loudspeaker they announced is there a doctor in here? And there was, and she went over and helped her and the paramedics came. But it was this frightening reminder of this is a different time. In a normal era, people would have rushed to her and helped her. And I think now it's like seeing a whole group of people just standing around in a circle from like 10 feet away. It was it was eerie. It was a very scary thing to feel like you couldn't even help your fellow human being because you don't know what's causing them to have this reaction. I'm hopeful that people will have a deeper appreciation for the social experiences they have both with associates and one another when they go shopping. I'm curious what the team feels about that first trend that they spoke to, the idea of rewarding brands that have done the right thing. Because I think as being in the industry that we're in, we've been very attentive to what brands are doing, what messaging are they putting out there? Some are getting it so right. Some are getting it so wrong at the same time. I'm just curious like, what the team's feelings are in terms of that idea of will people remember those who have, quote, done the right thing during the crisis? And has that created a new brand loyalty? I think that the companies that are being active and addressing the crisis and how it's affecting their business and the things that they're doing to help people, to help their business, ultimately, I think that they will be remembered. I mean, I think that the advertising campaign that Nike is doing right now is great, where it's talking about stay home for the home team. And they're having their they're having all the Nike athletes like post on, on Instagram, too. So they're amplifying that message. But then even if you get into more mundane industries like insurance. They're acknowledging that people aren't driving as much, so they're reducing rates for the time being. I completely agree. I think that 
the whole experience of COVID can't be ignored nor forgotten. And I do believe that it will directly impact what people want post-COVID. I think that customers will want to be seeing meaningful and sustaining connections for marketing that reassures retailers' relevance, need and value in their lives. Because I do think that the whole customer experience, shopping online, e-commerce has also made it very comfortable and convenient for customers. And they are also prioritizing their needs versus their wants and their desires. And so people need to expect to be put in the spotlight by consumers and really they're going to be asked to prove that they are living up to their values and their mission statement and displaying their commitment to their employees and to their consumers both before, during and after because it's just world of unknown. No one is no one's certain on anything and I just think at the core what is imperative is for that connection to keep customers at ease and on top of mind of you know the retailers and the marketers that we did go through this they can't just forget about it but also that they're relevant and they're needed. Yeah that's so very true. What happens to brands after the pandemic it's so influenced by what they have been doing during it and that messaging that we're receiving during it. The fact that they said consumers will reward good corporate stewardship. And I do feel that it's there's so much a drive of authenticity. We spoke about that in our first remote podcast regarding COVID-19. Things that are authentic and things that are inauthentic are so much clearer, I think, to the consumer. I've, I've seen situations where it's almost being used as a trend as good corporate stewardship. I do think that this has forced us into a higher state of awareness. And when it doesn't feel right, when it doesn't feel authentic, it's even more than ever, it's apparent. So Brian, it seems like there are going to be some major behavioral shifts. But what does this mean in terms of when? When we spoke a few months back about the future of retail and where it was going, and we spoke to these ideas of experiential authenticity, and we spoke to different ways that retailers were having perhaps online versus brick and mortar experiences and and the way that things were being rolled out. Those were things that we were seeing as a future and things that were slowly evolving. And Experts were even predicting some of these gradual behavior changes. They were expected. It was something we spoke to them ourselves. Were there trends that we saw in the industry? But suddenly, because of COVID-19 and the sudden lifestyle change that the globe has experienced and that everybody is day in and day out reflecting upon, that timeline is incredibly ramped up. And so those habits that were believed to be coming within the next four to five years could actually be here within the next four to five months. And that to me is incredibly striking and almost startling. The fact that that is how quickly the world as we've known it has changed and business the way we've known it has changed and the way that people are experiencing things in a new normal are coming a lot quicker than anybody could have predicted. Yeah, Brian, I agree with you. It's crazy how the research that you found shows that these, some of these trends that we're going to see and the shift in how people buy things essentially is being accelerated from four or five years or looking at a retail report for 2025. And now we're looking at that same report and it's being edited to reflect Q4 2020 or really early 2021. It's pretty crazy. And a lot of the things that I was finding kind of reflect that same findings as yours. So based on what I've read, I I really think that COVID-19 
and the way that's it's shifting people's purchasing habits, I, I think it really is going to accelerate the quote unquote death of retail. And I think that's going to, in, in the long term, I think that's going to make people and brands and retailers really have to focus on what is that brick and mortar customer experience. And they're going to have to make that super special and personalized for, for consumers to make them want to go into a store, for example. In the last week of March 2020, e-commerce marketplaces saw a 14% increase in volume, according to this Forder Global Merchant Network research. And I think that people in general, especially people who are the millennial generation who are now going through this, have gone through one of the worst recessions ever just 10 years ago, have experienced 9-11, but not a direct economic impact unless they've seen things from their parents. I think people are going to be more hesitant with their money and discretionary spending is going to decrease and people are going to really focus on things that are that are truly important, like, like food and groceries and those essentials. And I think people might be a bit more conservative with their overall spending. I wonder with mature anybody who's looked at their social media feeds over the last month and a half can say the same thing. You know, there are a lot of people that are getting in touch with skills that maybe they either didn't have prior to this, or maybe they just got deeper into things that are more life skills based, like home improvement or cooking, things of that nature. And I, I do wonder how those behaviors are going to change trends when it comes to, Alex, as you say, usage of disposable income. It could have the reverse effect, which is people are going to come out of the situation ready more than ever to spend their dollars on somebody else cooking for them because they've been doing it themselves for the last, <laughs> you know, however many months this goes on. So I do think that those are certainly trends that the average consumer, it'll be interesting to see how they progress. But also, we're talking about this a lot from the standpoint of people that are staying home, that are healthy. I am curious to see from the the number of people that were diagnosed with COVID-19 and were able to overcome the illness, how is it going to change their wants as far as the shopping experience? Are they going to be more hesitant to go into stores? It'll be interesting because I think that's the one thing that gets left out of the conversation a lot is if you've already had this and you've been that ill, what does that mean for you? How is that going to affect you on the go forward? So Alex, I know you've been thinking a lot about behavior and how this is going to change shopping behavior going forward. Can you talk to us about what you're seeing? Yeah, definitely, Hallie. As, as I was talking about earlier, I think people are going to be a bit more conservative with, with their dollars. I think that they might second guess whether they need that extra pack of cookies at the store or if they need that, that sweater at whatever retail location. I think that there will be an accelerated shift to e-commerce buying. I think people are going to spend less in general. I'll give a personal example. Before quarantine and COVID-19, I went to Whole Foods and bought probably a week's worth of groceries or so. Had a list, and I'm sure I went off that list and bought more and my my bill reflected that where it was probably like $180. And now getting through Whole Foods online and and Amazon Prime free shipping, I'm getting my groceries delivered, which has been a a great experience overall. And I think the most we've spent is like $100. We're a lot more conscious. We're not picking up random little treats and stuff as we're walking through the aisles. I think that is a big behavior that's going to, that people are going to see. So from a marketing standpoint and from a a retail standpoint, I think that people really need to be able to convince customers and consumers to come into the store to convince them and show them that, hey, our stores are safe and clean. I think a lot of experiences that we're seeing now in terms of contactless and touchless delivery and things like that, I think that's going to be accelerated as well in brick and mortar locations. I think there are a lot of things that we can do where other people don't have to touch our stuff. Maybe we'll see more self-checkout lines at at Target and Walmart and other, other big box retailers. Additionally, I think that 
retailers will need to convince and, and prove to consumers that they are providing a healthy, safe, and, and kind of localized experience. Marketers are going to have to show that the products that they're selling provide a good value for one's money. In any economic downturn, people are going to be more skeptical and spend less. So people are going to have to really, highly, as you say, kind of vote with your dollars, but also be very mindful about what you're buying and how much you're buying. The value of the customer experience in a store and in an online experience is going to be super important to keep customer loyalty. So I think that COVID-19 is showing that supply chains are changing and, and shutting down altogether, for example, right? I really think that loyalty might go down with some brands because perhaps your favorite product at retailer A is no longer available because they only have one supply chain. So you might go to retailer B and try something else. I'm so curious about this. Some of it is completely out of necessity because a lot of jokes have been made about toilet paper in this time frame. but there are a lot of people out there that are very loyal to their whatever their toilet paper brands are. There's been a lot of complaining about the, the fact they can't get their brands and they have to go with something else. So it, it isn't as much of a brand loyalty issue as it is a scarcity issue. However, maybe that forces you to try other brands and you may realize that you like something just as much, if not better. Eric and I were having a conversation last night around brand loyalty and what brands are you even do feel even more loyal to in this time frame versus feeling an appreciation for something new. So I'm just curious if any of you have tried something new that you wouldn't have tried had you not found yourself in this situation and what that might do for your behavior going forward. Yeah, it's it's funny, Alex and Haley, you both let in. I actually, there was a term that I, I learned through my research and it speaks exactly to what you're talking about, that the idea that that scarcity of products, it's it spurs this uh, necessity for trying new brands. It's definitely, Alex, your point about switching stores or, or brands within the stores due to proximity or that availability or even safety considerations, having to order, if you are ordering online, what's available, it, it does create those opportunities for new loyalty and new habits. They're saying that a lot of consumers are actually stating that they're trying store brands or generic brands for the first time, that it was something that they didn't even look at before. And they're realizing that they're just as satisfied with that product and they will continue to purchase it. So I think it is that double-edged sword of theirs, you know, Pally, to your conversation with Eric, those brands that you're embracing even more, but then there is that, what they're referring to as that loyalty shock. You're like, oh, well, why haven't I just been buying the store brand before? This is great and it's $2 less. Yeah, not only that, but obviously certain brands are also doing a really good job of advertising digitally. And there are certain brands that I know that I wouldn't have considered prior to this, or at least they were not in my top consideration set, that because I'm seeing them over and over, I find myself thinking, hmm, <laughs> maybe maybe digital advertising is swaying me in a way that I wouldn't have otherwise considered. I too am not impenetrable when it comes to advertising apparently. It is interesting, you know, what you find yourself contemplating or how your consideration set changes in times when either there is scarcity or you know, messages are being put in front of you because you're a captive audience in certain channels. One brand that actually did a really good job with that acknowledgement of, hey, you might be trying other things or need other things. I don't know if anybody's seen the Dove spot where it's really 20 seconds of watching somebody wash their hands. It literally says, we don't care what you're using to wash your hands, but just as long as you're washing your hands, we know it's important. So I think that was a modest approach in recognizing that like, look, this is what we do, but as long as this is part of your process, we're supporting that. So the other thing that we're seeing, obviously, is a lot of advertisers are retooling their, in particular, TV spots 
that had been previously shot to be able to reflect the times that we find ourselves in. I'm seeing this, and I'm sure you guys are too, I'm seeing this a lot with automotive advertising where it's very clear that there were spots that were shot prior to COVID-19 becoming as widespread as it is, and the spots have been retooled with a new voiceover to be able to reflect the idea that you're really in need of staying home. And so offering services such as home delivery of new vehicles, touting the, you know, pick up and drop off of vehicles for service. And you're just seeing this on a more regular basis. I know that messaging is really changing to be more of the moment, to be looking at the very specific times we find ourselves in. I do think that, Brian, that's kind of an echo of what you were saying earlier about the brands that will succeed in the future being the ones that are being the most helpful during this time. And so I do wonder what that will mean for brand preference in the long run. So that's a little bit about behaviors and what we might see in terms of behaviors going forward and also how we're, we're seeing the retooling of messaging take place. But Jamie, I know you've been thinking more about the technology side of it. What do you think we may see there? As I said earlier, I do believe that the retail experience to some extent has been made more convenient for the consumer. I mean, e-commerce has pretty much taken center stage. So in a post-COVID environment, I feel as if consumers are not going to lose sight of that, of what they once had, and they're going to want that still. So in order for brands to remain relevant and needed by consumers in a post-COVID world, they should be adapting to this mindset by incorporating I believe, artificial intelligence into their practices. I say this because an AI-driven solution really allows retailers to understand which products will become bestsellers, which to be put on the shelves, which to exclude, and ultimately allow retailers to provide a better customer experience and service. I think that from attaining such specific data from AI, retailers can really take advantage and interpret this data to find innovative ways to make the shopping and decision-making process convenient and easy for consumers continuously. I think this is crucial to adapt to the new norm. I just believe that AI strategies will help retailers cope within a new unknown environment as the pandemic is accelerating the inevitable digital disruption of commerce. Jamie, I'm curious, is there a specific example of a retailer using AI now that is successful or anything in your research that you found as as any suggestions or recommendations for retailers? Retailers should be using AI to help transform, you know, like the simple practices of like a checkout experience and then to more advanced things to predict sales and enable like just-in-time supply chain management or improve supply chains transparency but then as I say like easy practices like help to be responsive 24-7 to the more extreme predictions and anticipating sales. I think it's just important that right now consumers expect the experience to be instantaneous and constant whether it be constant communication with a brand or easy checkout experience, they are demanding instantaneous shopping experiences and their decision-making process has also become altered. And I just believe that technology is really what retailers can be using to adapt and offer these experiences. Absolutely. And there may be a layer to that that also incorporates, Alex, what you talked about before, 
which is that personalization to lure people back into stores. So like, for example, there are a number of retailers that use shopping behavior to cookie you and certainly serve up more content around items that you may have clicked through to. I think where this can come into play is using that data in the online environment and pairing it with the personalized touch of a sales associate. And so I'm wondering if that will be something that we see more of an emergence of coming out of this COVID era is how are we using that online data, not just to drive you down further into the e-commerce experience, but how are we taking that into the real world experience and allowing you to have something tangible, personalized, and really geared towards your wants and needs. So it may be that thing that you were searching for online that brought you into this environment. Sales associate might, for example, be able to see that you were browsing for a new spring jacket. And maybe once that jacket goes on sale, rather than cooking you and sending you an email to come in and purchase the jacket, perhaps you could get a personalized phone call from a sales associate that lets you know that yes, that jacket you have been looking at is on sale. And there are also a number of great accessories to go with that are also on sale. And they'd love to be able to gather them for you and send them to you. And then perhaps you, you don't like anything, they, they could pick them up and take them back or you can ship them back yourself with a free shipping label. So I think there's lots of ways that you can take the online experience and the data that's derived from that online experience and really make it this kind of omni-channel experience that also includes the personalized touch of, of that personal shopper. See, Hallie, I feel like that is super applicable for luxury brands i feel like and correct me if i'm wrong i feel like in the luxury retail market consumers are used to that personal shopping experience going in and and having someone truly help them find the right article of clothing or the right shoe for example you're getting a true customer interaction with your sales associate I feel like for more mainstream brands that aren't luxury, I I feel like AI will be used to kind of streamline the buying process. And I think as we talked about, and as people are predicting and have predicted for so long that low skill, low wage jobs will disappear due to AI. Like I feel like in big box retailers, I think that a big trend that we haven't really talked about is the customer experience of buying online and picking up in store. And I think that AI and different automated technologies will help really accelerate that trend for Target and Walmart and Big Lots, et cetera. I do wonder, though, Alex, maybe this is the moment where we're going to see those big box stores that are non-luxury big box stores taking a leaf out of that luxury book. Because at the end of the day, what the data suggests is that when you can get somebody to have a relationship with a personalized shopper, they're more likely to actually spend more. And so, for example, if the targets of the world were able to say like, hey, a sales associate gives you a call and says, hey, Alex, I saw that you were looking at this outdoor furniture set. Would you like me to help you to put together your perfect summer escape? And they're pairing it with the perfect outdoor rug and maybe some outdoor throw pillows and some vases or whatever the case may be. You may actually end up purchasing more because you like the look of something that's fully presented rather than just buying the outdoor patio set. I do wonder, you know, maybe it is the moment where some of that kind of A-B testing could come into play. And there are a lot of people out there that they just want someone in this time to make things easy for them. And so I think this is a moment for those big box retailers to step up and say, we're here to actually create that ease of use. And it's still a lower cost alternative. So if you see much in the same way that we talk about move up behavior, and there are a lot of people that as they progress through their career, they have more disposable income. And maybe they were the ones that were shopping at sort of a discount store. And now they're shopping once they have that more greater volume of disposable income, they're, they're choosing to shop at places that 
are a little bit more premium. Well, I think the same thing works in the time of economic downturns the other way. So if there's a downturn and you find yourself going from, okay, I was shopping at a West Elm, but I can't afford that anymore. And now I really want to make my space nice for summer and I'm going to shop at a Target. Maybe that's the moment where the expectation is that there will be a little bit more of that personal touch. And Target can actually pick up on what some of these more premium brands have been doing to actually increase consumer spend. They're just doing it at a lower price point. Again, it's something to try and see if the consumer is used to a little bit more of that personalized touch and they're finding themselves having to downshift because, you know, maybe somebody lost a job. Maybe they're just being more fiscally conservative because they don't know what the future will bring. Maybe this is that moment to say, okay, well, maybe we can grow brand loyalty by introducing some of those features that are usually reserved for luxury shopping experiences. And let's be honest, Target has already been introducing some of those trends over the years. We've talked about a lot of them, but whether it's celebrity designer capsule collections or official ongoing partnerships with home designers. I, I think that they're doing a lot of that anyway. So it would not be surprising to me to see some of these other kind of more traditional shopping supports end up in a discount setting. Yeah, it's in a sense, it's they're monetizing and taking the opportunity of that idea of that loyalty shock. I think that was a great example, Hallie, the idea of West Elm, maybe instead you're shopping at Target. A real example of that, that change in loyalty out of necessity. That is what retailers are going to find themselves really needing to assess and explore. Their audiences, suddenly everybody's audiences is shifting. Groups that may have never even been exposed to a certain brand are suddenly discovering it. So it's almost a moment of rediscovery for a lot of people and reverse a lot of brands responding to, to, to these new audiences. I think one of the overarching things that we're seeing here through all these various trends is it's almost the guarantee of the non-guarantee. You know, day to day, we're, we're learning new things. And I don't think there's really ever been a time where we don't have this solid sense of the trajectory. How many months will this take? How long will organizations and retailers and restaurants be closed in the sense that they are now? And much like we're seeing now, when they do reopen, what is that quote-unquote new normal? So I think that's the, one of the hardest things. Shark and Minnow, as strategists, what we do day-to-day -day with our clients and, and through our collaborations and our strategy development for clients, it's basing things on fact. It's basing things on the knowledge of, of projections. And we're in a place where we don't see what those exactly are. And I think that is what retailers are certainly struggling with is not knowing the environment that they are heading into because day to day, month to month, it's changing. Absolutely. And I, I think the reality is we're very used to planning for the long view with clients. And it's not that that's gone away, but a lot of our strategies in the short term have been paused. And we've had to really pivot towards this idea of what does your audience want from you right now? And I will say that I'm incredibly inspired by some of the work we've been doing recently because we've found new purposes for previously created work. We've found different ways of engaging audiences in the immediate sense that hopefully will, to some of the points that have been surfaced earlier, make those consumers, make those audiences feel more brand loyal when we do emerge from this. And we will. I mean, the fact remains, there will be a post-COVID-19 world. But what you do now is so critical. You know, I've had a lot of conversations in the last few weeks with 
nonprofit clients around the idea that this is not the time to push pause. This is the time to really pump the gas and show what your value is. This is a moment where you do have a captive audience and if you could put something out there that's beneficial to them, you are going to really rise to the top. Today, My Bigger Boat goes out to the nonprofit Good360. They're known for goods for the greater good. Their mission speaks to the idea of transforming lives by providing hope, dignity, and a sense of renewed possibility to individuals, families, and communities impacted by disasters or other challenging life circumstances who without Good360 would struggle to find that hope. So we're hearing a lot about, and we've talked a lot about these companies and these retailers who are donating goods and, and shifting gears in terms of what they're producing to get them to people in this time of need. Good360 acts as the bridge between those retailers and those individuals and nonprofits who need these products. So through product philanthropy and purposeful giving, they partner with these socially responsible companies to source these highly needed goods and distribute them through the network of nonprofits that, that support the people in need. So nothing is going to waste. Products are being placed in the proper locations and directly creating that impact. What I find really fantastic is they just recently teamed up with Toys for Tots. Everybody thinks of Toys for Tots during the holiday, but what they are doing is they are distributing toys, books, and games and offering many benefits to families in this extraordinary time of need. Toys and books and games, as we all know, everybody's at home playing games, doing puzzles. They're known to fight boredom, they relieve that anxiety in children, and they help give you that feeling of that return to normalcy that contributes to the continuing educational development of these children in need. So to Good360, as their headline says, goods for the greater good, and really reaching out in this time where everybody needs that sense of security and normalcy. This episode, My Bigger Boat, goes to the National Football League, which held its annual draft last week virtually. The NFL started a COVID-19 relief campaign called NFL Draftathon that, at the time of recording, has raised almost $7 million and which has led to more than $100 million total being raised. This money benefits organizations like the CDC Foundation, Feeding America, Meals on Wheels, and many more. This episode, My Bigger Boat, goes out to the COVID merchandise initiative, This T-Shirt a community platform aimed to raise money for those whose lives depend on serving food and hospitality. The funds from each item sold go into a pool that is distributed equally among the restaurant partners of the campaign across the United States. This includes local restaurants and restaurant groups across the 20 U.S. states. The concept of support and togetherness are the basis for this initiative, helping to combat the disruptive effects of COVID. This week, My Bigger Boat goes out to all of those manufacturing entities that are now retooling their operations to be able to create PPE for all of our medical workers that are on the front lines. Thank you for everything you're doing to be so responsive and to innovate quickly. I know that you're keeping our medical and first responders safe, and hopefully by keeping them safe, we can keep more of us safe. So thank you. Thank you.
This episode of Open Swim is in support of World Central Kitchen. World Central Kitchen is working across America to safely distribute individually packaged fresh meals in communities that need support. They've launched Hashtag Chefs for America, a nationwide emergency food relief program delivering those meals directly to Americans that need assistance. WCK is committed to purchasing 1 million meals from local restaurants. To learn how you can help, go to their website at wck.org. Open Swim is brought to you by Shark and Minnow on the web at sharkandminnow.com. On Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram, we are at Shark and Minnow. Technical support and audio production by Eugene Bueller. HR oversight by Marcia Tacone. Fashion policing by Felicia Winfrey.